as David read, famous psalm. My kids started school this week at a new school. It's a Christian school in Peabody that we're really excited and thrilled they can go to. And um, as, as I was waiting for my kids, picking them up on Thursday, I was talking with one of the parents. They, they know I'm a pastor, and they said, what are you doing today? I said, well, I'm preparing a sermon. What are you preaching on? Well, part of it is Psalm 1. And uh, this parent looked at me, and they said, did you know that the first grade class, I'm sorry, the kindergarten class last year memorized Psalm 1? I said, wow, I love this place. <laughs> what an amazing school. Um, and so Psalm 1 is a famous passage. It's a reason. It's the first psalm uh, in the Psalter. But it starts, blessed is the man who walks. Not, and he lists three ways, not to walk, but who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his word, he meditates day and night. So if you've been with us these last several weeks, uh, the last three weeks particularly, we've uh, been in a little mini-series that we're finishing up today. Uh, it's been entitled Walking with God. Um, and so two weeks ago, we started the series by asking the question, who is God? Who is the one we, we want to walk with? So we kind of like the children's catechism question this morning, who is God? What is God? We unpacked that question a couple weeks ago. Last week, we answered the question, where is God? So if we want to walk with him, it'd be helpful to know where he is. And sometimes we admit that we don't know where he is, that he's hard to find. Sometimes we feel like he's been missing. But we looked last week at where God is. This week, we're getting practical and focusing on the word walking and asking the question, how? How do we walk with God? And anytime you get into a sermon or a teaching that is how, there's some danger. Uh, How-tos can be can be damaging sometimes, or uh, even unhelpful. And so, as we as we get into a sermon this morning of how, I want to be careful that this is not a, a one, two, three step process to figuring out how to walk with God perfectly, because it's not that simple. Um, but there are some things from the scriptures that we can learn about how to walk with God and how to do so in a way that is meaningful to our lives and provides uh, ultimate satisfaction for our soul. And that's what we're after this morning. And so the point that I'm going to get to this morning is that, um, again, walking with God is not a, a one, two, three step process, um, but it's something a little bit deeper. And I'm going to begin to the, the big point is, is to walk with God is to delight in God. And so in, in some ways, the question we're going to be asking today is how do you, how do you delight in God? Because that's what the psalmist says, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who finds joy in the Lord. How do we do that? And if we do that, that means we're walking in step with him. Walking and delight are one and the same for our Christian life. So let's begin just by uh, talking about how do you walk? Uh, I, I started kind of getting really detailed with that question this week. You know, we had little kids up here earlier who... Uh, just in the last couple of years, have learned to walk. We still have one more in our church that's probably going to be learning to walk soon. How do you actually walk? It's When you think about it, it's one of the most basic things in life. Uh, no one is born walking. Everyone is born with the inability to walk at the beginning. Uh, there's never been a case that I know of where a baby has been born and immediately walks out of the womb and just starts walking around. It, it, it doesn't happen. 
it's something everybody has to learn. And there actually is a way to do it, but you have to learn it like anything else. Uh, in, my, in my intense Google searches this week, I learned that most kids learn to walk between uh, months 8 and 18. And that can vary. Some walk a little bit earlier, some walk a little bit later. But on average, anywhere between 8 and 18 months is when a kid learns to walk. And what are some signs that a baby will walk soon? I, I kind of went down this trail for a second. Um, there's all kinds of things, but the first thing is they need to learn how to maintain an upright posture. Posture is so important to walking. They need to be able to balance their weight, and if, at least momentarily on one foot, because when you walk, <laughs> you know, no one walks like this. You walk with one foot up and down, so you have to be able to balance yourself at least a little bit. And they're moving closer to independent walking when they display certain motor skills, like being able to pull oneself up into a standing position, like grabbing furniture and pulling up. And, uh, and during early attempts, you'll notice that babies only stand for a few seconds and they're kind of stiff and straight. But as a baby gets stronger, they'll be able to hold and stand more comfortably. And then babies will kind of grab the support and kind of scoot themselves along on furniture. Maybe you guys have grandkids or kids and you've been experiencing this in life. Uh, and then eventually they get to a place where they can stand alone, at least momentarily. You know, they kind of they let go of the piece of furniture and they're kind of standing and wobbling. And then they fall down a lot, right, at that stage. It's like you're standing up and then you fall. And then you pull yourself back up, you stand up, let go, and you fall and they're learning how to stand. And then eventually they're able to make that transition to independent walking. And it depends on a lot of uh, opportunities for movement and practice. And this article I was reading said, motivation is really important. If there's a reason to walk, if there's something you're trying to walk towards, that helps, motivation for walking. Uh, and showing an interest in, in accessing something that's far away. So kind of the, you know, the carrot on the end of a string or a piece of chocolate at the end of a string. If you have something to walk towards, that'll get you there. And so this image in our series has been this idea of walking, of God walking with humanity. And remember, I've been giving this image of a trail, of God's voice is like the voice of many rushing waters. And so if you're picturing yourself walking on a, on a quiet trail by a, a body of water and a waterfall, uh, that's kind of this image of walking with God. And then last week, like I said, it was kind of this image of going high up around a ridge and you lose sight of the rushing water and you kind of ask yourself, where is God? Where is he in my life? And this morning, uh, you know, we, we found our way back on the trail, found our way back towards the rushing waters. We know God is with us. How do we walk with him for a lifetime? Similarly, as a baby walks through those steps of going from birth to independent walking, what is the spiritual growth process for each of us of learning to walk? This sermon could get really practical and frankly pretty boring pretty quickly by just saying some very basic things, but I'm going to say those very basic things early and then use them to weave through the rest of the points. But there's some things you just have to say but these aren't going to be my main points. But the things you have to say of how do you walk with God, there's always three things that are present in a person's life that's walking with God. Bible reading, prayer time with God, being around a community of believers. Bible, prayer, and community 
are the three legs of the stool that have to be there if you want to walk with God. Those are the constants. They're always there. The Bible, you know, discovering God in the story of the scriptures, seeing who he is, learning more about him day by day. Prayer, talking with God, actually having a conversation with him, listening to him when he speaks back, leaning on him in spiritual conversation and community. Learning who God is by hearing each other's wisdom, by encouraging one another as we help each other grow in our walk with God. But today, there's more to that than just those three things. Primarily today, we're going to look at uh, the posture of walking for a Christian, the rhythm of walking for a Christian, and then finally, the test of endurance. All three of those, as we mentioned, how a baby walks, you know, posture, you know, a rhythm of learning to do it independently. And then finally, how do you do this over a lifetime? How do you develop the strength and the muscles in your legs to where you can walk over rough paths or even jump over things or be able to withstand shaky ground? Those are the three things we're going to look at today. And one of them you can start immediately. One of them you have to learn day by day when you wake up anew every day. And one of them you just simply learn over a lifetime. And those are the three things we're going to look at today. So let's begin with the first one, which is something you can begin immediately, something you can begin today, something you can do right now, something you can commit to, to learning and to being today in your walk with God, of how, how to walk with God well. And this is the posture of walking. You can commit to posture today. I was, I was seeing a chiropractor for a few weeks to help with some lower back pain and some headaches that I get. And they talked about how posture is so important, not just for walking, but just for health in general. But if you learn to walk, you, there's a proper posture with which you walk. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, you know, babies need to learn to maintain an upright posture on their own before they can learn to take steps. And similar, similarly for adults, to walk properly, you have to have good posture or at least it's very helpful to be able to walk for a lifetime. So here's a couple of things that medical experts say are good posture. Keep your head up, obviously, that's helpful. Lengthen your back, keep your shoulders down and back, engage your core, swing your arms, and then finally you can step from your heel to your toe. All of those things are about maintaining a walking posture that is correct biologically for your body to be a healthy walker. But what is, what is the posture for a Christian walk? Again, we're not talking about a literal walk. We're talking about this metaphor of walking with God, of being close with him, of being in his presence, of understanding his ways and finding our ultimate purpose in life. What is the Christian posture? The Christian posture is humility. And I want to take you to one of the prophets. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to Turn to the prophet Micah, who is uh, later in the, in the story of the Bible, very, very much towards the end of the Old Testament. The book of Micah. Uh, I'm just going to look at one verse for you. It's a famous verse that you've probably heard. But the reason I'm taking you there is because of what he says uh, about walking with God. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says this. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. 
What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And that's the part that I'm going to focus on here with the posture of the Christian life. The posture of the Christian life, how we are to walk with God, is in a posture of deep and resounding humility. And if you're in Sunday school this morning, this is just picking up that theme of gentle and lowliness that we learn from the person of Jesus. But the prophet Micah says to walk humbly with your God. So let's focus on this this term humility for a moment. What does it mean to be humble? What does it mean to walk in humility? Humility is not quietness or passiveness or shyness, which is what a lot of times we think maybe what humility means. The opposite of humility is not being loud or aggressive. The opposite of humility actually is arrogance or pride. And so if that's the opposite of humility, humility means then to set yourself aside and your plans and to put someone else's plans and self at the center. And for the spiritual walk, for the Christian life, that means setting your agendas aside, setting yourself aside and putting God at the center. In order to walk step in step with him, we need to trust him and put himself at the center of the walk, recognizing that he's the one that is leading us and we wanna be in step with him. Humility means to be open-handed with today and the future. It means opening yourself up to being led and directed by another. It means admitting that another person's way or plan is best. It means being teachable, guidable, walkable. Who wants to walk with an arrogant person? Who wants to walk with a prideful person that's always kind of pushing you to the side or choosing their own path? That's not a, that's not a pleasant walk to be on. Maybe you found yourself on a walk with someone that's just, it's just, this is an arrogant, prideful person that is not, this, this walk is not enjoyable. And so in our walk with God, our walk with God goes the best when we're humble before him because he knows best. Peter says, humble, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so like I said earlier, this is something you can, you can learn to do this today. You can start this today, right away, by choosing intentionally. Humility is a choice of putting yourself to the side and putting God at the center. Look around the world today and look at your options. I, just, I invite you to take a frank look around the world at your options. What is the best option to lead you, to guide you, and to direct you? Take a look at your options. What, is, what are the options for you to be led? Yourself, a leader of a nation, a spiritual guru. What are your options? I, I invite you to take a look at your options. And then I invite you to look at yourself to take an honest look at your heart and your, your soul and to ask yourself, are you a sinner? Are you broken? Are you tired? Are you, are you capable of leading yourself well when you have that honest conversation with yourself? And then finally, I, I encourage you to look at the person of Jesus and look at his story, look at his character, look at his example and 
put him to the test and say, is he a person that would be good at leading you? Is he a person that would be good at guiding your life? And if he is, which I think he is, then admit your need, confess it to God, open your hands to him, and give him a chance, and trust yourself to him, and walk with him, because he promises to walk with you. The, at, at, at the end of the book of John, the Gospel of John, there's a beautiful picture here. The resurrected Jesus is appearing before his disciples, and he's having this really powerful encounter with uh, John and Peter. And he turns to, Jesus turns to Peter. Again, this is Jesus with the holes in his hands, resurrected. He turns to Peter and he says to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you previously did not want to go. It's the picture of Peter now being led by Jesus, led by God, the rest of the days of his life. He's lost some of his independence, yes. But Jesus is actually saying, Peter, that's, that's better for you. That's better for all of you to lay down your life and to be led by him. It's actually grace. It's the grace of Jesus to say and to give you probably what you're really longing for. I think each of us at deepest in our, in our hearts are saying, I don't want to lead myself. I know what I'm capable of. But if I can find one who is able to capably lead me in the way that I need to be led, I would jump at that opportunity. That is grace. It's not weakness. It's not giving up on yourself. It's not passive. It's actually just smart and wise. It's a mark of a godly person to say, God knows best. I will humbly walk with him. That's something you can choose to do today. So again, I extend that invitation to you to come to Jesus even today. So that's something we can learn today. Secondly, what's, what's the something that I said you can learn day by day? So something that, that you need to wake up every day and recommit yourself to. And this is what I would, what I would call the rhythm of walking. So we talk about, you can learn the posture of walking right away. You kind of can learn the steps to like make your posture correct, which is humbling yourself before God. But something to learn day by day, every day as a, as a believer, as a person in life, is to learn the rhythm of walking. Psalm 1 uh, says, you know, like, like I said when I introduced the Psalm, Psalm 1, I said there's, you know, blessed is the man who walks, uh, and then he gives three ways not to walk. You know, the first one was not in the counsel of the wicked. The second one is now not, nor stands in the way of sinners. And the third one is nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The rhythm of walking means do not stand in the way of sinners. And so what is, what is the rhythm of walking that I'm going to invite you to spiritually? The daily rhythm that I think Jesus invites us to is to every day wake up and choose to imitate him. The rhythm of imitation. So the posture is one of humility. The rhythm is one of imitation. Choosing to look at his life and copy his life. Be an imitator of Christ. We talked earlier about you know, how babies learn to walk uh, and the posture that they have to learn first, but they also have to learn rhythm too, right? 
It talks about how the timing of walking also depends on opportunities for movement and practice. And the same is true for a Christian. To learn to walk with God means you need to have opportunities for movement and practice. Every day, get up and learn again how to be like Jesus today. How can you follow after him in the world today? And motivation is important for the Christian life too, just like it is for a baby. If a, if a baby has motivation to walk, they'll learn to walk. And if a Christian has motivation to walk with God, you'll learn to walk with God. So it's a question now of motivation too. Rhythm means you're motivated day by day. How are you motivating yourself or being motivated to walk with God on a daily basis? What is it that is spurring you along to have a rhythm with God every day? Again, when you're picturing yourself on a walk with somebody, a pleasant walk is one where you're continually in step with one another, not going too far ahead, not going too far behind, but you're walking step by step so you can have a conversation and have a pleasant, delightful walk. So what is the rhythm of walking for a Christian? It's, it's the imitation of Christ. 1 John uh, 2.6, I mentioned John just a minute ago uh, at the end of the Gospel of John, but 1 John, the, one of the letters he writes uh, in his own letters, 1 John 2.6 says this. It says, whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk as he walked. Whoever says that he abides in Christ ought to walk as he walked. So what does it mean to walk as Jesus walks? It means to look intensely and consistently daily, every day at the life of Christ. It means to look deeply at his life, to ask some questions like, how did Jesus relate to God? How did Jesus treat others? What priorities did Jesus have in his life? What are some things that he, he cared about? What are some things that he didn't care about? What are the priorities that he made in his life? And why do we do that? Because Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus was the son of God. He is the one who showed a perfect way to live the human life. He is the one who only lived up to God's perfect righteous standard. So he is the one that if anybody we'd want to imitate, he would be the one because the scriptures put him in such high regard of how he walked about his daily life. And that's why the Apostle Paul and Peter and John all say, imitate Christ. Walk as he walked. Look to him. Paul's like, don't look to me. You can imitate some of my, my things. He's like, but ultimately look to Jesus. Imitate his way of life. And then look at your own life and say, how does my life look and how does it match up with the life of Christ? What are what are the similarities and differences? And I would encourage you on that point not to be too harsh on yourself because yes, Jesus is the only perfect man ever. So will you meet up to his standard? No, you will fall short of his standard. Don't be too harsh on yourself at this point, but rather be motivated and encouraged by how Jesus lives his life and continually strive after the life of compassion the life of mercy, the life of kindness, the life of sitting with those who are on the outskirts of society, the life of pouring into those who are pushed to the side, the life of justice, the life of righteousness, the life of honesty before God. Jesus sat in the garden of Gethsemane and said, Lord, if it's possible, take this away from me. This is painful. But then he said, not my will, but yours. 
Jesus was full of grace and truth. He was relentlessly committed to truth. Is your life marked by truth, by a pursuit of the trueness of the scriptures? Is it marked by, by grace of giving the benefit of the doubt and by extending love? Jesus lived for the kingdom of God. He was relentlessly committed to the mission of God. He frequently went away for quiet moments in the wilderness just so he could pray with his father. Do you do that? He loved his mother, his friends, his brothers, his enemies. He didn't care about what his clothes looked like or where he slept at night. He says foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he, he wasn't anxious about it. He studied the scriptures intensely. He knew what the scriptures said. I just encourage you to look at the life of Jesus and imitate what he does. How do you do this? Again, we're, we're prone as people to look at Jesus and say, yeah, I see that Jesus was great, but how could I ever be that? What's the point of trying to imitate him if I know I can't reach it? And the imitation is not to be Jesus. You will not be Jesus. Take that off the table. How do you imitate him? You imitate him by, by just every day committing yourself to him, starting your day with a prayer of, Lord, I want to be more like you today. Show me your way. You imitate him by spending time with him, by getting to know him, by going away for quiet moments in prayer and in scripture. And ultimately by doing what he says. If, if Jesus gives a command, which he does, listen to it. Do your best to be obedient to it. The Great Commission says, you know, teaching, teaching all nations to be obedient to what he says, to obey all his commandments. Imitation is not about perfection. Imitation is about the motivation to walk with him. There are some Christian traditions that say you can reach a, a level of spiritual perfection in your Christian life. The Wesleyans, for instance, the holiness movement, really believe that you could, if you committed your life to Christ day by day, by the time you die, you could be you could be close to perfect. I don't know if that's true or not, um, but I do know that God wants us to pursue him and to walk with him by looking at his life and imitating him. And ultimately it comes down to, I think, our identity. You know, what, what do we put our identity in? Is our identity in something that, that we are putting on ourselves or is our identity coming from the outside on the person of Christ? So let me just give you a, maybe a, 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 an example of how I think this can look. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I went to a church, First Baptist Church in the town I grew up in, and our choir director at that church had polio when he was a kid. It was before the polio vaccine, and he, was, um, he had polio. And so his whole life, he walked with a very evident limp, and he had a cane. From the time he was a young boy all the way up, he's still living today, still walks with a limp. And so uh, he, he was my choir director in high school as well, at the local high school. But when he had his own children, he got married and had his own children, as his children were learning to walk, uh, as they began to, to you know, push themselves up on the furniture and find their posture and to begin to kind of scoot around the furniture, when they began to walk on their own, guess how they walked? They walked with a limp. 
because they were watching their father who walked with a limp. And so they had to, over time, correct their son and their daughter to walk without a limp because they don't have polio. But they learned to walk by watching their father. And as we learn to walk, we learn to walk by watching our father too and by watching Jesus. And this is the last point here because it ties into the limp part. The last point here is, you know, there's some things you can learn to do immediately. There's some things you can learn to do you know, every day over, over time. And there's some things that you can only learn over a lifetime. And the thing you can only learn over a lifetime is the endurance of walking. Your legs will only get stronger by walking more. And you only learn to endure by walking through hard things. And so the ultimate way to walk with God, where eventually a mature Christian gets to, is you learn how to walk through pain and suffering. And you learn how to walk through pain and suffering by imitating Christ, walking as he walked, and realizing that Jesus walked the path to the cross. Jesus walked the path of pain and suffering and was persecuted and ultimately crucified on the cross. And he promised that those who would follow after him, they would have trouble. They would be persecuted. They would experience pain and suffering. But you can learn to walk it beautifully and even find delight in walking that path by walking with the one with the limp. And yes, we, can, we don't have to walk with the limp because we don't have polio. And we also don't have to walk with the limp because we're not Jesus. We're not, we're not going to be the one dying on the cross for the sins of the whole world. Jesus walked with the limp, so to speak, because he died on the cross, the substitutionary death for our sins. But you and I walk with the limp of knowing that the pain and the suffering that he experienced is not the pain, the ultimate pain that we have to experience but we do follow after him and we learn the path of obedience by walking through pain and suffering. And this is ultimately how we learn to delight in the law of the Lord. As we said, babies, when they're learning to walk, they fall down a lot. Christians, as we're learning to walk with God, you will fall down a lot. You will sin. You will fall short of the standard that is impossible to reach. But the grace of God is the one that picks you up off the path, picks you back up and keeps you on the walk, teaching you the endurance of life. Ultimately, the text that I'd love to finish with here uh, that illustrates this is from the Gospels. I encourage you to come there and to find it. It's in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. This will be the last text we look at today because this is the, the classic standard text of what it means to walk with endurance, the walk that Jesus has invited us to. So in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is speaking to a crowd, and he's teaching them what the path will be in front of them. And he says this, If anyone would come after me, if anyone would walk my path, if anyone would walk with God with me, let him deny himself or humble yourself. Let him take up his cross daily. Imitate me and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
You see, Jesus promises, if you want to walk with me, humble yourself, take up your cross, your sacrifice of life. What are the things you're going to sacrifice in life to follow Jesus? And follow me, walk with me all the days of your life, but realize that the moment you lose your life, when you set your life to the side and put your life in Jesus' hands, that's actually how you save it. That's actually where true life is found. This is how you endure suffering. It teaches you to not be surprised when the bad things come. It teaches you to keep walking even when those bad things do come, that when you get those pebbles in your shoe or when you trip over a rock or when you get bitten by a rattlesnake on that path, you keep walking, you endure because the healer and the strong one is walking right beside you. He will lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. You see, in the scriptures, when Jesus says, abide in me, that actually, that, that word means continue in me. It means persevere in me. It means remain in me. It means be steadfast. All those words in the New Testament, steadfastness, remain, persevere, continue, abide, they're all the same Greek root word. The Christian life is a life of continual walking, of enduring, of persevering knowing that the one who is with you has overcome. The Christian life is a lifelong walk to stay faithful towards the end. It means learning these things through pain and suffering, not in spite of them. Closeness with God often comes the most intensely through the trials, through the pains in life, not by skirting around them. So don't be surprised in your walk with God when the pain comes. Just know that the one who is with you is teaching you the way of the cross through it a life of faithfulness and obedience. It's a way of obedience, a way of sacrifice. And it's our way to deepest joy. Remember we said in Psalm 1 that uh, blessed is the man who walks not the way of sinners or sits on the seat of scoffers or stands in the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's one who faithfully walks as he finds his deepest joy in delighting with God fully. Hebrews 12, 2 says that uh, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus somehow saw the cross as a joy because he was able to see beyond the pain of the cross to see what was on the other side of it, which was salvation and joy and hope for the whole world. Now, let me finish with this story. This is my concluding story for you. There's a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata, who maybe you've heard of. If you haven't, let me introduce you to her because she's extraordinary. Johnny Erickson Tata is a woman who was born in 1949 in Baltimore, Maryland. Her father, uh, nicknamed Johnny, uh, where she got her name, participated in the 1932 Olympic Games as an alternate for the United States wrestling team. He was an amazing athlete. And it says, with the example of her parents, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata lived a very active life through her growing up years. She rode horses, she was hiking, played tennis, she was a swimmer. And when she was 18 years old, on July 30th, 1967, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay after misjudging the shallowness of the water and she suffered a fracture between the fourth and fifth cervical vertebrae and became a quadriplegic for the rest of her life, paralyzed from the shoulders down. 
During her two years of rehab, according to her autobiography, she experienced anger, depression, suicidal thoughts, and religious doubts. And yet she learned during occupational therapy to paint with a brush between her teeth and began to sell her artwork. She also now writes this way with a, a brush between her teeth, a pencil between her teeth. Um, although she also now relies on a lot of voice activation software to write. She's now written over 40 books, recorded several musical albums, and is an advocate for people with disabilities. But here's what I want to focus on, is her walk with God. Don't lose the irony of that statement. Her walk with God. She can't walk. She has a quote. She says, I'd rather be in this wheelchair knowing God than on my feet without him. And this part is from her booklet entitled Hope, The Best of All Things. She says this. This is just extraordinary to me. I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. She's like, I know that's not theologically correct, but I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner of heaven. And then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior. I'll stand next to my Savior, holding his nail-pierced hands, and I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And he will know that I mean it because he knows me. He'll recognize me from, uh, from the fellowship we're now sharing in his sufferings. And I will say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we will have trouble because that thing is a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. And then the real ticker tape parade of praise will begin. All the earth will join in the party. And at that point, Christ will open up our eyes to the great fountain of joy in his heart for us beyond all that we've ever experienced on earth. And when we're able to stop laughing and crying, the Lord Jesus will really wipe away all of our tears. And I find it so poignant that finally at the point when I do have the use of my arms to wipe away my tears, I won't have to because God will. The last thing she says is, I can't wait for that day because when I get my glorified body, the first thing I'm going to do with my resurrected legs is to fall down on grateful, glorified knees. You see, that's what it means to walk with God. Is to be humble in your posture with him. To learn the rhythm of imitating him, following him on the path of the cross, and enduring the suffering, knowing that at the end, there is a beauty and a joy that God has reserved for his people. Delight yourself in the law of the Lord. So friends, as we finish up this uh, series of walking with God, I pray that we learn to walk with God together, that we encourage one another. Again, we're all in multiple places as a church here in our walk with God. Some are really far along. Some are really at the beginning. A lot of us are in the middle. But friends, God is inviting us onto a journey of life that is extraordinary. And as on the front of our bulletin, it says here, St. Augustine, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. So let's encourage one another as we experience this in life. Let me close us in prayer, and then we'll sing. Lord, bless us in our walk. We, we look to you.
the one who's gone before us. So, Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for your scriptures, which teach us and challenge us. May we be deeply encouraged by the life you're inviting us into. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.